We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Thirty Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I'm tired. Yep, you always uh, you keep you know being okay with these early morning recording sessions. And I'm very appreciative. Yeah, well, I'm burning the candle, I'm burning the podcasting candle at both ends, I guess. <laughs> and that's all for you, dear listeners. So we uh... yes, I give and I give and I give. <laughs> what do you do? You well, need to like us more on iTunes. <laughs> well, yes, for my we'd... suffering. <laughs> we didn't get any ratings or reviews this week, but uh, but I did find out that apparently I'm at a family reunion at the beach so if you hear any waves in the background that's what that is but apparently some of my family members uh listen to the podcast so that's cool to find out and i'm gonna give a big shout out thank you to the deckers who are letting me use their internet so that we can record right now so thank you guys yes thank you it's fabulous this is gonna be a whole you know try to you call me and then we try to go camp out in mcdonald's to use their the closest mcdonald's is like half an hour away too uh, to try to use their Wi-Fi, it was going to be a whole thing, and luckily I have some pretty awesome relatives, so go team. Awesome. Yeah. So we uh, didn't get any comments at the website, uh, but we did get some pretty awesome tweets last week from you guys. So uh, first of all, we t- I talked a bunch of um, Dark Knight and Doctor Who with you guys because I got to introduce my cousin to Doctor Who oh, you know, while, uh, while I'm here at this reunion, and it was pretty awesome until the DVD just player just decided we didn't need to see every third second of what we were watching which was fun um but so we got some i got a chance to talk who with you guys a little bit and then we got this great comment from uh this tweet from ken who says uh but simon you don't understand will mcavoy has fixed kate's lady brain to better tolerate his genius that's yeah, my that's my tweet I, of the week. <laughs> it's it's the honestly it's the only rational explanation for how you can continue to tolerate the newsroom. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so that was thank you that was from Ken and uh, thanks for that Ken. That was hilarious and uh, yeah, like I said, definitely my tweet of the week. Um, we have a great uh, DVD shelf coming at the end of the show. Uh, we talked with Eric Bondurant about coupling the UK series. So you can look for that at the end of the podcast. So much fun. Um, but before we go into our weekend TV, we figured uh, we should talk a little Emmy nominations because we're not going to do uh, a separate. Do we? Should we? Yeah, we were wondering if we should do like a separate segment on that and then realize that we didn't care enough. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's there are some good things. I mean, even though they somehow didn't nominate it for best comedy, uh, Louis C.K. managed to be the most nominated person in a single year ever, which is interesting. Uh, although the comedy special that he did uh, helped, so good for him. I am um, vaguely looking forward to. I think in at least two categories, it's 
Louis C.K. versus Lena Dunham. So I'm kind of curious to watch the hipsters fight. But even though I'm pretty sure in both categories, neither will win by a very long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, boy, uh, the big takeaways are, do people pay attention to Downton Abbey when they're watching it? And I'm bored just thinking about what they nominated. Yeah, like there, like you're saying, there were, were some you know highlights or some people get who got nominated um, who I didn't necessarily expect and who I you know look forward to seeing them get a little bit of recognition from that even if it gets a couple people to tune into to Louie or Girls or some of the or Veep which I feel like nobody's talking about then uh, then I think that's great but the, the all the nominations for American Horror Story which is a show neither one of us particularly enjoyed and all the heapings of love on Downton Abbey which had just a bad season, at least I guess for us. I, a lot of people seem to really like it, but that last season, man, I I, I couldn't handle that. Uh, that Thomas and Bates and all that stuff, man. Yeah, that show's got a dog whistle quality that I I that just totally eludes me. And I know people are still really excited about the new season. Like, uh, you know, I get that Shirley MacLaine's going to be on, guys, but I don't think that's enough for me to be excited after what we just saw. <laughs> Well, much as I like Shirley MacLaine, and and just you know the fact that uh, that neither neither Louis nor Parks and Rec, which were two of the, probably the top five shows last year, um, definitely the top two comedies, right? Neither one got yes. nominated for best comedy. It's just so frustrating to me. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, um, Offerman didn't get nominated for best uh, supporting actor because everyone from Modern Family did. You know, I think even more than Parks and Rec and Louie uh, getting stiffed, I, I was really sad to see uh, Tim Oliphant lose his yeah. best actor nod that he managed to worm his way into last year. And uh, Neil McDonough didn't get in like uh, like Martindale did last year, which I think is really a shame. And weirdly, the only person from the Justified cast to get a nomination was Jeremy Davies. Which yeah. okay, hey, okay. hey I, mean, I love me some Dickie Bennett, but uh... he's he's great, but so is everyone else on that show, mm-hmm. um, and some more notably than others. I in terms of Parks and Rec, it was nice that a, a couple of their best episodes from the last season did get writing nods, mm-hmm. which that was nice to see. I mean, I'm sure they were submitted, and, and I, I wouldn't expect Emmy voters who have actually watched stuff and figured <laughs> things out for themselves because I know that's not how it works, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I don't. Seventeen nominations for American Horror Story is insane. It's too many. It's I don't it's care. Seventeen how... too many. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. Anyways, uh, but we should uh, let's move on. We have a bunch of shows this week to talk about. Uh, before we get into that, you are covering Fantasia Fest. It's on on site. Well, yeah, the this I'm I'm in t- Toronto, so I would oh, be very ineffective. Sorry, I, apologize. <laughs> I would be ineffective at covering Fantasia, uh, and I'm this is the first year in it about five that I'm missing it, so I'm a little bit sad about that. But uh, yes, that is going strong. I believe uh, Ricky and Michael Ryan and uh, Edgar, a couple other people, are writing about it. As I think also Justine is video blogging about it through CUTV, which uh, I haven't had the chance to catch up with yet, but it should be interesting. And, oh, what else is happening? Um, lots of Dark Knight Rises content. Uh, of course, myself and Josh Spiegel both wrote reviews, somewhat contradictory. <laughs> and we have a four-hosted, like, 75-minute-long review that went up this morning um, in both spoiler and non-spoiler format. 
and that was interesting. It, so it, it took a while to go up. We were having a technical issue, which also explained why my Breaking Bad recap was late. But uh, I can confidently state it was not my fault. <laughs> well, I do look forward to listening to that uh, Dark Knight uh, episode of Sound on Sight. So I'm, that's queued up for me, waiting for when I we finish all of this. Let's let's get into our weekend TV um, and kick it off with Wednesday. And so you think you can dance? We had the first four dancers eliminated. There were a lot of really cool dances this week. Um, there was a Bollywood number that was pretty neat. There was uh, all sorts of you know there was this this ridiculously elegant foxtrot and as somebody who's such a huge fan of fred and ginger movies um for those who don't know that's fred astaire ginger rogers and they did old musicals in the 40s and they're amazing and you should watch them um so they did a there was a really great foxtrot number a bunch of different dances that i liked the four dancers who got eliminated um i would say the two of them was not it was not a surprise because they just got such a terribly choreographed dance to work with that I'm not surprised that nobody voted for them. Um, the the one of the, the that couple, the the guy of that couple, um, is one of the strongest dancers on the show. So it was really a shame to see him uh, to see him go. But probably two of their best, strongest dancers were up for elimination, and so they could only save one. And then of the of the women, I was not very surprised by who got eliminated. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. As this, you know, I'm still getting kind of used to this show particularly as they don't have a results show so the competition show is also an elimination at the end of every episode now and so just trying to get used to that will be a little strange but it should be fun so then after so you think you can dance we move to thursday with awkward are you there god it's me jenna which sees jenna going to church camp i pretty much loved this episode what did you think did you notice we got a, a judy bloom reference on Bunheads mm -hmm. and on uh, on awkward this week weird connections. Anyway, yeah, hey, it they they finally got away from the love triangle, and we got a better episode. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. It, it's I'm I'm always curious to see how far awkward can push it in terms of risque content, and this this was pretty heavy on blasphemy. Yeah, which uh, which which awesome. I enjoyed. <laughs> I particularly liked the theory about gay Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe that hasn't come up before in pop culture. I think that needs exploring. Um, there was a decent amount of Sadie content, which is always a pretty good harbinger of, of, of what's going on. And for once, the stuff that was going on with our with our VP slash former counselor was actually kind of funny, mm -hmm. uh, featuring some some acceptable drunk acting. Yeah, overall a pretty pretty solid outing. I'm hoping we get more sort of. More adventurous episodes like this where the, you know, the angsty, romantic, you know, thing that it's middling through isn't as big a deal. Yeah, as soon as uh, we we saw in the preview last week that she was going to ch church camp and that Sadie was going to be there, I was pretty sure I was going to enjoy this episode. Just watching Sadie deal with all of the ridiculous, uh, like, her reaction to all of the religious stuff for those who don't watch awkward sadie uh is the bully character who is hilarious and terrible and not particularly devout and so just sort of there against her will and spends her entire time uh trying to use um, atheistic common sense to combat everything that she's seeing at church camp uh which was pretty her response to the chastity thing was pretty hilarious i thought mm -hmm. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Anything that culminates with somebody screaming, I love Satan at church oh, camp. Oh, yes. 
right, how did I forget the, the biggest instance of blasphemy? That was great. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. And I, but I thought they did a good job of not just being something that's um, insulting or, uh, or uh, harassing people who, who, of faith. Yeah, I, no. I don't think you could watch that. It's not like I enjoyed this uh, be, because I hate the church or anything like that. No, no, it, it definitely had it both ways. Yeah, uh, which is always fun. Yeah, so yeah, it was fun, and I hope to see more uh, more of some of these characters as we move forward with this season. Um, and I, I, it would be nice if they could. I don't know how they would finagle away in like next season to have another church camp episode, but I would be all for it. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows. I just I just know that that they need to do more of these sort of getting Jenna out of her familiar surroundings sort mm-hmm. of into 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 these sort of more fringy areas and and that's also something they can do with the supporting characters which we ha- which we still I don't think have spent spent enough time with. Yeah, I w- I would agree. But let's move on to Wilfred and now what did you think of this one? Uh this felt weirdly like a filler episode to me. Um most of the Supporting characters not showing up. The plot doesn't really advance in any significant way at all. You know, we follow Ryan as he, you know, trails this potential investment, which I personally wasn't a plot line that interested me at all. I think was uh, sort of an unfortunate use of Rob Riggle in a plot that didn't interest me at all. Some of the Wilfred gags were cute, especially the emo hair (laughs) and uh, his 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 various attempts to become. to become more civilized, but overall, I, it really felt like they were marking time on this one. Yeah, that didn't really occur to me until you, till you, you know, started your your thoughts on it. But you're absolutely right in that nothing at the end of the episode, nothing is partic- particularly changed from the beginning of the episode, except theoretically Ryan's perspective and point of view. Except that at the beginning of the episode or last week, he didn't seem like he was overly stressed out about his future. So it. Uh, yeah, it just it did feel like a lot of treading water. Um, the there were some really there were some solid side gags, um, but the biggest thing for me about this episode is they continue to absolutely waste Rob Riggle, and I wish they would stop doing that. <laughs> I wish they would give him something to do. Yes. Also, was it just me or I kept waiting for the investment plotline to turn into like a Ponzi scheme or something, and then it never happened? Which yeah, I don't know. But it was. I'm not complaining. It was just strange. It seemed very obvious that that's where that was heading. Hmm. Oh well. So hopefully oh. they get back on track next week. Yeah, absolutely. That hopefully we'll see. I, I still enjoy it. It's, it was still fun, but it, it didn't. Uh, work quite as well as some of the other episodes this season. Yeah, like like they they had a they had a perfect twelve episode season and said, Oh wait, we've still got another one. Quick, come up with something that we can stick anywhere. Um but that was followed by Louie and Daddy's Girlfriend Part One, which was fabulous. And I lobbied for it to be in the spotlight, but mm-hmm. we It was decided it was the subject of debate, but for various yeah. reasons I'm 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 banking on, on Louie coming back even stronger next week. But yeah, this was great um, I will. I do have one complaint about the episode, which um, which you may disagree with, but I really did not care for the reality show parody that uh, cropped up in the Maria Bamford segment. It it seemed like something half-assed. He shot on the weekend and and stuck on our TV. Like it, it didn't really seem like a thought through gag. Um, but that that was really that's honestly it. Let's start talking about good things. <laughs> um, I love Maria Bamford, and I, I the bit of, the bit of stand up that she does in the episode is very old, and I'd heard it a million times before, but it mm-hmm. was still great to see on my TV screen. Uh, she's fantastic, uh, and she was absolutely 
that has to be one of the least flattering guest appearances yeah. in TV history. So good honor. And then, of course, we get to the Parker Posey segment. I'm under the impression that she will be back next week, which I'm very interested to see. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that I have given a variant of the speech that he gives her, <laughs> and it does not always work. So congratulations <laughs> to Louie that it works. He was well, a little bit, he was about 25% more eloquent than I was, but there, there you go. Apparently, you just need to be asking out Parker Posey, and then you're set. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was the wrong target, I guess. I thought it did just such a fabulous job of conveying that feeling that I think everybody has had at one point or another about the fear of dating and asking somebody out and putting yourself out there. I thought that was great. And just to watch the progression over the ep- over the course of the episode and, and, and uh, watching him, you know, imagine scenarios with these various the various women and, and just, you know, finding a way to turn them into, into things where it was going to end up horribly and bad and he shouldn't even bother to ask them out in the first place. Mm-hmm. Just watching uh, him self-sabotage and watching the baby steps towards uh, asking out Parker Posey's character was great. And uh, that that uh, that song that they used, I thought, worked really well. And I just I love this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it communicates both the, the fear of dating, just the, the things that can go horribly wrong, but also it communicates the longing you know, in, in, for that in the lead up to that yeah it's just at the, the point at which you get so lonely that just like anything <laughs> just like you start just daydreaming about what whatever so that you know by the end he's 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 in this very bizarre black and white fantasy with this you know middle-aged teacher who isn't saying romantic things let's just say <laughs> and um and it's just like yeah whatever fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well, I think Louis is at its best as a series when when Louis C.K. is using it, using the form and using his, you know, however many minutes to examine a feeling, an emotion or like a moment. And I think he's so he's so great at capturing a feeling in in the way that he um in the way that he cuts together and and writes and directs and all this stuff, his show, you've something like last season when he was going to buy the house and this, you know, sequence that we got this week too. He's, I don't know if it's quite expressionist. I don't have my dictionary with me and mm-hmm. as I, to be, make sure that's the correct term, but that's what comes to mind. It's it, it I would almost call it magic realism. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a little bit of that thrown in every, every few episodes he'll do that yeah the the uh, the sequence in the house buying episode is, is a good example uh, I'd also bring up the um, actually maybe my favorite example of that is in uh, Subway when he sort yeah. of Im- imagines becoming the hero of the Subway mm-hmm. for some reason and then it completely ends and has nothing to do with anything uh, which was fantastic um, and Parker Posey was great uh, I haven't don't think I've seen her in something good uh, besides her appearances on uh, Parks and Rec, that happened, right? I don't actually remember. <laughs> uh, I remember not liking her on The Good Wife, but that wasn't really her fault so much as what she was given. There we go. Um, you know, I, I, I think in my brain I can I, I confuzzle her with someone else, even though I know exactly who she is. <laughs> she just has one of those one of those confuzzable faces. But uh, she's great. I'm very, very curious to see it. This is the first, I mean... We've had an hour-long Louis, so it's not that big a deal, but this is the first explicit two-parter they've done, and I'm uh, very curious to see where that leads. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see Louis be happy for a little bit. So yeah, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bank. I on wouldn't. It. Yeah, I don't. Think I'm really. I really don't think long. it's it's gonna go well next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But it was definitely another strong installment. And once again, as we always say on the sh- on, on the Televerse, watch Louis. Yes, if you're not watching Louis, you are incorrect. Um, let's move on to Saturday, which had the premiere of Squidbillies. It was it's season seven for them, which I found somewhat astonishing. I've only really known about the show for maybe a year now, um, but this was Rusty and Tammy sitting in a tree. B a s t a r d. It's the title of the episode, and it was it was fun. It didn't blow my socks off, but it was a uh, nice to have the show back, and uh, we'll see what happens with those crazy kids this season and. Uh, yeah, I look forward to, to getting to talk. You didn't get a chance to watch this one, but uh, hopefully next week we'll get a chance to talk about it a little bit. I'm curious what you think of this show, but uh, right. I had fun with it. And then on Sunday we had the newsroom. Um, uh, amen. Oh, man, you want to know how awesome the hour was this week that I didn't spend watching the newsroom? I don't remember <laughs> what I was doing, but I wasn't watching the newsroom. I thought they did a pretty good job uh, this week. I, I think I've. St- I think it's one of those things where you watch a show long enough and you're not sure. You get past the first, you know, few episodes as they're finding their feet, and you're not sure if the show got better or you just, you know, met your expectations to their level, you know, or you just got used to it. So I don't know how much of it is the show changing, but I did feel like this was a step better. I felt like it wasn't quite as preachy. Then again, I'm interested in learning about the uh, history of economics in this country, and I'm sure other people really aren't. But I continue to like Olivia Munn on this show quite a bit. She plays the economist of the group. Um, And uh, hopefully they will, you know, there was definite schmaltz and cheese and all of that. um, But I'm, I guess I'm in for the newsroom. Hopefully, they seem to to be doing... um, they're they're doing the Jim and Pam thing from the office or Tim and Don thing, um, where where uh, with Maggie having her boyfriend Don, but they're keeping Maggie and Don together and they're showing them as a functioning, you know, happy couple, and so I and that's kind of what I was more interested in exploring instead of just the constant um, Maggie should be with Jim, who that's his name, new Jeremy is Jim. <laughs> I finally remembered. Um, and Dad, John, Dad Don is a jerk. So they're doing a good job of fleshing out his fleshing out his character a bit. So it's a little less obvious and cliche, at least at the moment. Um, but I, I'm okay with newsroom for now. Um, let's move on though to political animals and second time around. What did you think of this one? I think this was really okay. First of all, I want to say it had the best line of the week, which I wasn't expecting um, when uh, Carla Giudino is talking to her um, cohort in the press pool press pool fine um and uh and and he mentions that that uh, his wife left him and she's oh i'm so happy for her (laughs) that that actually that really got to me so good job greg berlanti or whoever wrote that episode other than that i thought it was really brought down by the tj plot Mm -hmm. which man does not interest me at all and i feel like has been the subject of seven dozen bad independent films of the last 30 years um you know the down on his luck uh you know prodigal son or gay person um and here we get both who uh you know can't fit in and never gets a chance and then takes his chance and that doesn't go well and we're i'm sure we're going to see all of those things happen and 
Uh, no, not working for me. Other than that, um, we get a little bit more with with Bud and Elaine's relationship and sort of what makes them tick. And I think they're doing a good job of making Bud sort of charismatic, but not completely cartoonish. And okay. I, 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 do, you, do you disagree? You don't feel like he's cartoonish? He's definitely a little bit cartoonish, but he has moments where of, of unexpected humanity. I, I, I liked him insisting that he, uh, you know, back in the, in the flashbacks that he, that he, that she does, that she do leave him because mm-hmm. he knows himself and he knows that he is not a faithful man. Mm-hmm. And you now little beats like that, that I appreciated that I wasn't really expecting. It's not brilliant, but it's, it's a little bit more shading than the character necessarily needs. Um, the resolution of the, uh, of the situation in Iran didn't seem plausible to me at all, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's USA. It's, not the real world. Uh, overall, I was I, I, much like with the with the premiere. I was passably entertained in an inoffensive fashion with some highlights. I think this one benefited for me from not having the expectations for it that I had brought into the pilot based on the buzz. Um, so I went into to this not you know thinking oh maybe this will be the hot great new show of of the summer. And so I, I was okay with it. I thought it was about on par with the pilot. Um, I am having a lot of trouble with with Bud. I think uh, Kieran Hines, I'm not necessarily loving his performance, um, or maybe it's the writing of this character. I, and I, I, it's not so much that he's not good a, as it is that he's far less interesting to me than the women. And so when they are spending so much of their time on him... I want them to be spending that time instead on on the main two leads. Um, I, I enjoy Ellen Burstyn as the the mother, the grandmother, um, but she's a little too close to cliche for me at mm-hmm. the moment. And uh, and oh, the other thing I want to say about Bud is that I do enjoy the way that they are examining the duality of a character like that, and and it's. You know, this is something apparently that's very true of Bill Clinton, of how someone can be absolutely brilliant and 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 exactly the right kind of person to the excellent politician, exactly the right kind of person to put in a situation like the like the um, scene in what was it uh, Turkey, right, with the 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 Iranian premier or whoever that was right um but at the same time be utterly you know womanizing despicable asshole Mm -hmm. that that those two things you know looking at the juxtaposition of that that it's possible to have so many amazing traits and at the same time have so many utterly destructive ones and that the you know the good doesn't outweigh the bad and the bad doesn't outweigh the good it doesn't they don't cancel each other out in any sort of way. I feel like we don't usually see characters like that on TV. The the person who's the cheat, you know, like, and I like that we see that at the end with Carla Gina watching him sleaze that uh, reporter back into his room um, and going from having such absolute uh, admiration and he had really won her over to saying, you know, this is still the same guy. Mm-hmm. He's both of these things. So while I'm, ha- I, I would rather be spending the time with, you know, Sigourney Weaver's character or um, Carly Gugino's character, if we're going to be spending the time with Bud, at least they're doing something interesting with it. Uh, I think if we're going to be spending the time with a man on this show, it should be Bud because the other, the male other characters aren't really doing it for me. I, I, you know, I love James Woke, but 
his character is dull as dishwater to me, at least so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the other plot with the other son is not, is just so rote, so, so tired. Um, yeah. And I need, I would very much like that to be over. Um, and yeah, I don't think the twist of him trying to sabotage his mother's presidential campaign is interesting to me, particularly. No, it's not. <laughs> so I'm a little disappointed that's the direction they're heading, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's a short season, so they can do a lot. They can move in a lot of different directions. So I'll be curious to see how far along uh, this gets, because not that much time passed in this episode. Yeah, I get the impression that it's going to be roughly a day or two for every episode and that because it's only a six episode season so i have mm. a feeling that the, it's going to be like just a few days to maybe a week each episode i don't think we're going to have any jumps in time i mean I, I'll, I'll be curious also to see if they do a longer season next year based mm-hmm. on the fact that this seems to be doing well i would be surprised yeah. if they didn't frankly and uh yeah again not necessarily a hugely buzzworthy show, but I'm definitely enjoying it based on the parts of the ensemble that work. Okay. I think that's also true for True Blood, and we have In the Beginning, and uh, there were parts of this episode that I thought were really interesting and fun, and parts of this episode that just needed to not happen. And uh, the, perhaps the most misjudged, no, the, the Ifrit is no longer the, the, the least interesting and worst storyline. That now goes to Hoyt. And his hate group. He loves being in his hate group. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I personally got some laughs out of that, so I oh, didn't. Was terrible. But also, I don't have any attachment to Hoyt as a character. I don't know what to oh, expect just, from him. So. It just wasn't funny for oh, me. Oh, I thought it was kind of like, funny. It felt like they were trying so hard. Uh, I don't know. It was it was cute enough. I, you know, it. Uh, the problem is, it's at some point they're probably going to start to take that plot seriously. Yeah, and I don't know if happen. that shift's going to work, but for cheap laughs this week, I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, we got very little Ifrit time this week, which was great. And it ended in the most batshit crazy manner I can imagine. Well, actually, not quite as batshit crazy as I can imagine. Of course, the really batshit crazy thing would have been if uh, Lilith was real. That would have been uh, really yeah. insane. This is more insane. We've seen her be re- We've seen people do stuff like that and be real before on this show. Well, but, you know, she's effectively a god, so that would have been a big deal. Uh, here, of course, we we find out their hallucination. I mean, the one thing that I'm a little bit uh, unsure about is I feel like now the arc of the season is sort of, you can kind of see it coming where they have to, um, they have to sort of save Bill from the clutches of Lilith and the ancient blood gang. Uh, wow, that's a weird sentence. Um while um while Skarsgård's character sort of manages to break free and I don't know I'm hopefully they actually just go through those plot points really really fast and then go somewhere else because I feel like we can see that coming because it's not like they're going to kill either of them ever and it's not like they're going to be evil forever either so it seems like the only way forward um let's see what else happened in this episode oh, we had Suki trying to not be a fairy anymore ish uh, Part oh yes, theory. right. Trying to use up her, her, her magic uh, again. I have no attachment to the fairy material, uh, so that that's actually an aspect that doesn't do much for me personally. Mm-hmm. But um, I liked all the stuff with with Carrie Preston and her thinking about her her wedding and wedding. all that stuff. That was all sweet. Hey, I loved that they spent the time on that. I didn't expect them to, and 
and it, I thought it worked really well. This mm-hmm. was a long episode. It was like 59 minutes. Yeah. And without commercials, that is. And uh, yeah, so I, the fact that they took the time to really show them and show them happy uh, actually made me nervous about where this you know season is going. Whenever whenever they give somebody um, or characters too too much of a moment of um, joyous happiness, mm-hmm. yeah, you start to worry about their longevity. Right. I think that's sort of a, a that's a general rule in TV, not just uh, mm-hmm. not just on True Blood. Uh, if anything, less so on True Blood because, from what I understand, they're not very good at killing people. Yeah, it's more of an issue on any any Whedon shows. Watch out when your couple is happy. Yeah. Um, can, can you explain to me who um, shows up in that vision after Lilith shows up? Who that oh, was? Oh, that is Godric, okay. who is Eric's maker. Um, was a Eric was a Viking, and Godric's even older than him. Godric was like. 3,000 years old, 4,000 years old, something like that. And uh, and he committed suicide in season two, I want to say. He was a very firm believer in, in mainstreaming and in peace and um, that that humans were people, not just food. Um, and he stood up um, on the top of a, of a roof and waited for the sunrise in season two and what was a very dodging scene very well done Sookie was there with him um because he he doesn't think people should live forever and eventually it should end and um so he's a very a very positive uh force in 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 the show and in eric's development and life and um when godric shows up it's very significant mm-hmm yeah, see, one, it, well, definitely that character in that arc was one of the absolute highlights of not just season two, but or season three maybe, but the series. Um, and so whenever Godric shows up, it's a good thing, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. We also got uh, Tara the Stripper. That was just kind of awkward and strange, I thought. <laughs> yeah, she didn't look very comfortable. No, and also the character is introduced, Tara was introduced as a bartender. She, that's her, she was working at Merlot's. In season one, and so the fact that she's supposed to be a better dancer than a bartender doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but she's about as good a dancer as Ellen Burstyn is a singer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Whoops. But uh, and also the stuff with Lafayette was uh, very strange. Have we seen these people before? Yes. Uh, Last that... season. Yeah. Okay. I don't need a full background check. No, I'm not just... going to give it to you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Um, so That's yeah. Jesus's grandfather. Okay. Got it. Uh, so yeah, I, I I thought it was another fun episode. It's seeming I, I'm I'm hoping that they have the the inventiveness to take these plot points in unexpected directions mm-hmm. rather than the ones I'm expecting. I don't know what do you, what are you expecting? Well, I'm expecting. Uh, well, the the oh, we also didn't talk about Alcide and the V and the the whole werewolf and vampire thing. By the way, um, the vampire that that werewolf dude was talking about was Russell Edgington. Russell Edgington um, has a history of keeping werewolves strung out on V to be his like bodyguards and servants. So that's how that ties in. So the werewolf thing could easily tie in with the vampire thing. And the war of the fairies and the vampires could tie back in. I'm ho- okay. This is what I'm hoping. I want it to kind of all come back together. I don't know how they're going to tie in Erfrit 
Um, I'm sure the shifter thing is going to link up with Hoyt and the racists uh, thing. Um, and so then the big question mark for me right now is with Lafayette, how they're going to bring that around because it just seems so completely disjointed. Um, so yeah, I will, so we'll see what happens. But I'm right now, I mostly focused on, I think the big things are going to be Suki, um, theoretically, maybe even becoming human in some way, and that t- tying in with when the, the shit started to hit the fan with the vampires and her not being able to help. Uh, I think that's going to be the focus. It, this won't mean anything to you, but I was very um, disappointed to, I, I didn't believe the character moment of Russell forgiving Eric for staking Talbot, who was his husband for about 200 years. Um, so that that there were a couple little moments like that that just feel absolutely like absolute betrayals of character that are in there to further the plot. Um, I mean, I took it as him being just sort of conniving, like ah, I'm gonna kill you later. But yeah, that it's that's just not. It's so completely removed. He like went nuts when Talbot was killed. That's when he ripped the guy's spine out right. on national TV. Um, so this is just such an utter turnaround. It doesn't make any sense, and they haven't done any legwork like, to make it believable. Uh, so that's the you know outside of the whole stupid hillbilly thing with Hoyt. That's the biggest frustration with this episode for me. But I still thought it was fun and. Like you said, it it ends in a fun, crazy way. And seeing all those guys blissed out was pretty fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and there's you just there's no arguing against uh, Dennis O'Hare and his just ridiculous reserves of swagger. Yeah, it's insane how much of an upgrade he is over Chris Maloney. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, I'm sorry, Chris Maloney, you're hilarious and I love you, but you were not good on this show. Yeah. Where do you think it's going? Um, I mean, hopefully it's going towards some sort of Game of Thrones-esque battle royale in a field with all of the various supernatural forces vying for control of of, of the town. I don't think that's actually going to happen, though. So, um, well, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I, I think this is a show that, probably threatens a lot of change and then doesn't really deliver. So I don't really think she's going to give up her powers and I don't really think anyone's going to stay evil for long. And I'm pretty sure someone's going to kill Edgington by the, by the end of the season, maybe, or maybe not because they seem to be good at not killing him either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what kind of balls this show has really. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Basically. Okay. Well, let's move on to Bunheads on, on Monday with Movie Truck. We got a little more time with the girls this week and Fanny basically wasn't there. What did you, do you think that that helped the episode? What did, you, what did you think? Well, I'm wondering if that's a segue into the future since uh, I don't know if you, you noticed, but Fanny is listed on, as a guest star every week, which I find which I find weird because she seems like an integral part of the show. But like you said, this week, she's not even there. I like that we've waited, what, six episodes? It's the sixth episode now Mm -hmm. to see um, Michelle teaching a class and then the show skips over it. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Uh, All right. And she we don't even get to see what she does with the stripper pole, which doesn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, it was another sort of pleasantly... you know, actually, you know what I do like about the show is, especially after watching, um, um, I don't j- just from Dark Knight and a, and a few other things this week. This is easily the girliest show on TV. 
and there's something vaguely pleasant about watching about like feeling my testosterone levels drop as I watch it in a in a perverse kind of way. It's just it's it's like a 55 minute slumber party basically, and uh, I'm I'm okay with that. I don't know what that says about me, but um, in that sense, it, you know, it was sort of a, it was nice to see. Um, uh, we we got a little bit more time with Truly, which I think was good, and uh, yeah. it was about damn time. Uh, and I I think we've got a little bit of a better grip on what what she's at. It was nice to see her cut loose, and uh, the stuff with the kids I actually found less interesting, um, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I think they need to, as much as I do enjoy Sasha and Boo, they need to do something with the other two in that in that group. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have trouble remembering their names. I can't remember their names right now, and uh, they're supposed to be main characters. Yeah, the little one who looks like a pint-sized version of Ivy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one. Tall one. <laughs> tall one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, blonde one and tall one. Uh, that yeah, so I'm hoping that they'll expand on them a little bit more. I will agree. I really liked having more Stacey Oristano this week with uh, more Truly, and getting to see her, you know, start establishing a relationship with Michelle because I think that will be a a um, dynamic that the show will benefit from um, mm-hmm. from exploring. I also liked the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey disses. I can't <laughs> get enough of those. That was pretty. That was pretty funny. I think that having. Fanny away with her and her quirks away for a week was a very good thing. Mm-hmm. The show was 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 you know looking like it was going to be just too overly weighed down by hat boxes and and uh, you know floor fixing and all sorts of different things. It was just getting a little too precious. Yeah. Um, so hopefully when she comes back, they will you know they'll work on balancing the the different elements to the show to really let it be at its best. But I absolutely agree. It is. Totally Totally, an hour-long slumber party, and I love that—that that vibe mm-hmm. to it. There's nothing else on TV like that right now, and so it's—it's it's nice to have that. Yeah, it's—it's it's not just that it's mostly female characters; it's, it's that the male characters are in, are completely incidental. <laughs> well, and it's just—it's the overall tone of the show because, you know, for at least at the beginning of the season, there, the male characters were non-existent pretty much on on girls, but it didn't have this kind of a bubbly fun kind of tone is that girls was not a sleepover (laughs) no but this one is and so it's just a different sort of feeling and it's nice yeah it's it's a it's a nice casual watch for sure yeah definitely um then we had on monday the premiere of warehouse 13 which we weren't able to get to but after it on sci-fi channel and after that premiered uh season two of alpha's wake-up call um i just recently caught up with alpha's you watched it as it was airing last year uh, what did you think of this as a launch for a new season, and how it? Um, how did you think that they handled the cliffhanger from last year? Uh, this is one of those season premieres that seems radical at first until you realize that it's really just an elaborate way to get the team back together. That aspect of it was a little bit disappointing and sort of felt like them going through the motions. But I think as a way of sort of restating the basic themes of the show and sort of reintroducing these characters for people who may not have seen it before. I thought it was pretty efficient and pretty effective. Um, especially, I just, I've forgotten how much I'd missed the Bill and Gary dynamic on my mm-hmm. on my TV, and they're just so great to watch. And um, I find it weird that the show hasn't really gotten any attention for its acting. Which I, I think they've got a, a really fantastic ensemble. I don't think there's anybody 
in the group of alphas that I find, I mean, some I find more interesting than others, but there's no one who, when they come on screen, on screen, I go, ugh, which is amazing because there's, you know, there's six or seven of them and they're all completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, really like this show and I'm so glad that, that you were bugging me and some other people were bugging me as well. I'm so glad that I caught up with it. Uh, and I, I mean, aside from the fact that I love genre stuff, I love, x-men and you know super i i stuck with heroes way too long mostly because of brian fuller's theoretical involvement but also just because superpowers are cool um and it's so great to have a really good show and this sort of with a live action with believable and in well executed um uh, superpowers for everybody all distinct i lo love that all of them have a very clear downside they all have very clear weaknesses that prevents anyone from being overpowered. I love that the Professor X on the show doesn't have abilities and it shows just how valuable um, having uh, somebody, you don't have to have superpowers in order to be able to be an absolutely essential part of the team. But if there's a single thing, reason that I really, really like this show, I think I probably love the show. I love the character of Gary. Mm -hmm. And I love the portrayal. Um, that's Ryan Cartwright, who was one of the my favorite uh, squinterns on Bones. He was Mr. Nigel Murray, and got killed off on Bones. I was very sad when he got when he got killed on on Bones. It was very well well executed. Um, but now I'm good with it because the reason that happened was so that he could come be on Alphas, and he plays an autistic man. And I have my uncle. One of my uncles is autistic. And I have never seen a realistic and unoffensive and non-pandering autistic portrayal on television before. And this is spot on. It is absolutely 100% accurate, at least to my experiences um, interacting with my uncle. And so to see the amount of respect paid to the character by the other characters, by the writing, and demanded by the character from everybody else is wonderful there's people love to have asperger's characters on tv because then they can have the funny level of autism and uh still it's okay because the person is an autistic so you can make fun of their social awkwardness without being a di without you being a dick so to actually see like this is this is a respectful and and interesting and fully fleshed out autistic character character i mean you compare that to something like touch or the other portrayals of autistic people that you'd normally see, it's just so absolutely refreshing. And I could just go on all day about it. So you should take over a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any autistic people in my family or in my life, as far as I know. But um, it, you're absolutely right about the... It, it's plain, even if you don't, just the, the level of care and sensitivity, but not to a patronizing degree that's, uh, that's being done with, with Gary... Uh, just com especially compared to touch, which was just so insulting on every possible level. Um, I also just want to, I, I want to point out that um, the, the whole ensemble is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, even characters that shouldn't, that we shouldn't like or shouldn't work. Like I think the most problematic is Nina. Mm -hmm. It's played by Laura Minnell. I I think she manages to find just the right note of sort of bitterness to make that go down. I love the, I, I, I love that we got to see her just be totally, totally horrible this week <laughs> and basically apparently like, carry like a manslave around yeah because you know honestly if you if you weren't feeling so hot you would probably do that all the time mm -hmm. 
and uh, Mal- Malik Yoba, who plays Bill, is is always great, and his repartee with Gary is is awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Strathairn is a pretty solid anchor for all of this. Yeah, and uh, it's again, I'm surprised he hasn't been getting any attention. He's just consistently fantastic on the show, and he's always been a great actor. Mm-hmm. Well, watching through the first season, I was very pleasantly surprised with um, guest stars who came up not who were almost always of course playing alphas but uh who who did a good job with their characters the fact that each of the the superpowers that we've seen thus far have been or sorry alpha abilities have have been in some way different um than what we already have and you'd think they would start running out of ideas but i think they've done a really good job with that summer glau's character her ability is to invent stuff that's really cool. I've not seen yeah. somebody whose ability was to invent stuff before. Um, and, and again, like I said, the fact that they, that they, uh, they show the toll that these things take. The fact that, uh, that Rachel, who has super senses, could, you know, she's tr- if she's staring at trying to track down this person who's running away, she could get hit by a car because you wouldn't hear it coming because you can't hear and see at the same time. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, and, and also just the tone of the show, they've done a really good job, I think, of establishing a world. And I'm a little leery about moving forward with, um, with the government you know, issues as well as this clear like parallel to the Brotherhood of, of, uh, of, of Mutants, the uh, Magneto bad guy kind of group. Mm-hmm. little leery about having both you know, the government thingy and the Brotherhood thingy at the same time but i'm definitely on board for this season yeah i th- i think an- another thing that's great about alphas is it's a sh- it's basically x-men the series really i mean yeah. zach Penn wrote the x-men movies and this is basically his excuse to do x-men on tv without having to pay for the rights but actually these characters are, are more interesting to me than the x-men on average mm-hmm. maybe the lack of costumes helps but they, they just feel so much more fleshed out and and so much more like like people and not like comic book characters sorry comic book fans um but also i th- i think it it has a great balance of it's a superhero show for adults mm-hmm. like it, it 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 doesn't take itself too seriously but it's very clear that there are stakes and you don't necessarily know where things are heading. You don't know how much you should sympathize with Rosen all the time. He's, you know, he's been responsible for some rather heinous things. And we don't know if he's always on, on the side of good 100% of the time, at least in the first season. Um, only thing that has me nervous is there are new showrunners, which, from based on this episode, it seems like they clearly get what what's good about the show. And I'm hoping that means that serialized elements don't sink things. It would be nice if... Um, this is a show that does one-offs really, really well, or close to one-offs, um, or even bottle up. Epi- I mean, the the Brent Spiner episode it was awesome from last season. <laughs> was so good, and pretty much just took place in the office. Uh, that was fantastic. I'm hoping they do sort of more high wire, sort of tighter episodes like that that aren't so much about the master plot. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping they keep they keep the show gutsy and um, and brave. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see where the season uh, takes us, but it's nice to have uh, some sci-fi back on. Yeah, it's on nice TV. to have some good. Jo- to, yeah, I mean, True Blood is almost more of just an absurdist comedy. Fantasy, yeah, that's a different yeah. thing. It's nice to have some. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back and uh, talk some Breaking Bad. Our spotlight on the second episode, Magical, will be right after this. Before you slip into unconsciousness, I 
like to have another kiss, another flashing chance and bliss, another kiss, another That was The Crystal Ship by The Doors, which was featured in this week's episode of Breaking Bad Madrigal. Last week we had some issues, particularly Simon, you did, with Mike's characterization and decision-making process, and this week we spent a lot of time with Mike. Did you think that, uh, what did you think of the episode, first of all, but also how did you think that they handled Mike um, and his, his motivations and uh, was the time well spent with him that we had? Um, I still don't think it's perfect. I mean, I, I think that they, uh, Gilligan, who wrote this episode, um, does his best to, between the money and the granddaughter, I think he, he really, really, he pulls overtime trying to make it seem natural that he's, st- I think it makes it seem natural enough that he sticks around. I'm not sure it makes it seem natural that he decides that working with Walt is the best option possible, but the episode was so good and Jonathan Banks is so good that I'm willing to let it slide for now. Um, this to me was way, way better than last week. I remember last week I said, let's wait to spotlight breaking bad. It's got higher gears. This is what I'm talking about. Uh, from that amazing cold open in Germany with the chicken nuggets. I mean, what, <laughs> what other show would even try to get away with that? A Cajun kick-ass. Uh, that was so, that was just um, French, uh, French, yeah. Oh, that was awesome, and um, it was also a, a beautiful looking episode too. It two two images in particular that stood out was the uh, the framing in uh, Mike's associate's bedroom when it's uh, when he when you when you get the reveal that one of them is no longer with them, uh, mm-hmm. and and also the um, that incredible standoff in Lydia's apartment. Oh boy, we have to talk about Lydia. Uh, in in Lydia's house with the reflections on the glass. Oh, that was just that was vintage, awesome Breaking Bad for me. I don't know. Were you, were you as high on this episode as I was? Not at all. I didn't oh, really? dislike it. Obviously, Breaking Bad is Breaking Bad doesn't know how to do a bad episode, at least uh, so far. So uh, I didn't have. You know, I liked the episode. I just wasn't anywhere near as won over by it as you were. I th- I think it, again, it felt more for me like interesting and and fun vignettes that didn't seem particularly tied together i think what they do with mike i think they knew they needed to get mike to a certain place and that's why we see him doing what he's doing and you know some more of a how are we going to make this happen as opposed to this is the natural progression for the character um the performance from jonathan banks is fabulous of course he's great and this appears we're going to have him be a much larger presence over the course of this season and that's that's all good to me. I liked, I, but it just it felt it felt rather disjointed between Germany, the Germany sequence. I actually checked to make sure that I was you know on the right channel <laughs> when the, when at the beginning of the episode because uh, it was so different. It was it was really cool. And but then the the scenes with Hank at the office felt completely separate from the scenes with Mike. Um, and so so yeah, it just it didn't work as well for me as it did for you hmm um we got our first 
I would say our first major, we think, new character in quite a while this week, mm-hmm. uh, Lydia, played by Laura Fraser. And um, uh, I, 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 I guess we, what we do know is she works for Madrigal, or at least we can intuit that from the from what she wants and the fact that she's in the meeting with uh, with the DEA. Uh, I find her really interesting, actually, because she she's this interesting mix of sort of being very callous about taking life. I mean, she essentially asks Mike if he'll kill a dozen people, but at the same time, she's very clearly very uneasy in her job, which makes me wonder how she got it and how she... Yes, uh, that's a significant issue for me. This doesn't seem like somebody that Mike or Gus would work with. But that seems... I, th- I think that's going to be a plot point. I don't think that they're... they're I don't think they made her that way for no reason. I, I feel like possibly when... Um, when I, I feel like maybe she was a rust job, like maybe when this guy dropped dead, they had to find someone someone new or... I don't know. Like I, I feel like it's going to be an issue. Like Is she really cut out for this kind of work? Clearly not. Uh, but at the same time, she's she's clearly somewhat cavalier about you know the value of human life, even if she doesn't want to admit it. That's the thing; she doesn't seem cavalier about life to me at all because she she doesn't she is okay. So Walt would Walter would say we need to kill these people; they're loose ends. She doesn't want to have any sort of blood on her hands or any. She wants to have utter utter deniability um and so she isn't she isn't calculating at all it just makes her she just comes off as incredibly weak um in, in a way that the other characters we've seen aren't and maybe that'll be interesting to watch them explore mm-hmm. but as as far as new character introductions go this was definitely not one of the more interesting for me I, I think we, uh, oh ye of little faith um i, I think mm-hmm. that's just a different way to be to be cavalier about about killing people i, I mean you can be open about it, or you can be weaselly about it, and she's weaselly about it, which I'm not yeah. sure is something we've seen before on quite this scale. Uh, anyway, I, I'm I'm very interested to see where where it's going. I love the scene with, I mean, regardless of whether or not you think her her character design is going to be a problem, I I love the scene with her and Mike in the cafe where she, she's just incapable of ordering anything that they have. Um, that was and her, just her her obvious inexperience at which is what i found interesting her obviously her obvious inexperience at sort of uh i don't know covert operations if you want to call them that or whatever it is that you want to call mike does what 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 mike does um let's see what else uh i i I noted um in my recap that i find it interesting that saul and skylar are sort of in the same position which is Mm -hmm. interesting to me because a few seasons ago she absolutely hated his guts and i'm sure she still does but really, they're both just scared out of their wits, and they're absolutely tied to Walt, and they cannot escape. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. I mean, we, we find Skylar in exactly the same place we saw last week, which I don't think they're going to keep up for long. I think they're going to have to have her do something. I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm, and I'm sure fans aren't going to like it, but she's gonna she's got to do something or she'll just suffocate. And that last line was just a killer for me. Oh, so creepy. Well, yeah, I mean, that just, that continues, uh, Walt. I mean, yeah, I think for me, it's interesting because I've been on the Walter is psycho and an absolutely terrible person from about season two. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like people are kind of just catching up to that, or maybe they think he's just become that. But w- what the kind of thing he what he says to end this episode, there's no better reason than family like that. That's exactly what he was saying back in season two. The only difference is now people are seeing, or the, and the character, you know, uh, Skyler is seeing just the utter ridiculousness of his statements mm-hmm. of when he says that. This that's not why he's doing this at all. It's not even a little bit. It's just a very it's a pathetic justification at the you know at the very least right. well and I think uh, so, so it's fun watching Skyler uh just you know absolutely having to deal with the reality mm-hmm. of of who this person yeah. is well also um fun is a strange term for that um <laughs> the this is the first time in a long time that he hasn't been off cooking meth or like you know dealing with his criminal empire you know he's just at home waiting to gear up and do this so this is the this is the longest time we've seen them together in their house which i think is why it's really dawning on her now that oh i have this is the guy i keep in my bed every night and this is the guy mm-hmm. who's looking after my my children and um wow wow what what do i do now <laughs> like <laughs> she openly yeah. admits that she's terrified and and saul is in kind of the same position where he clearly does not want to be there anymore and he's He's bitten off way more than he can chew, but what's he going to do? I mean, especially now that Mike's around and we all know how much they get along. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, we we got uh, the tension that wasn't present for me last week was here in spades. Uh, that whole mm-hmm. whenever we get Mike kicking ass, it's always amazing. The trick with the motorized toy was particularly great. <laughs> and um, and yeah, like I said, the standoff in the uh in the house was just was beautifully lit and uh, wonderfully executed uh i'm wondering where things are going to go in terms of madrigal because it seems like that's not even close to being over no and you know i mean the guy electrocutes himself at the beginning for a reason and i don't think it's just the dea and um yeah i don't know i'm i still really have no idea where this is going which is always exciting yeah i look forward to what i would presumed to be the eventual Walt versus Hank showdown. Um, whether that happens in the first half of the season or the second half of the season, I have a feeling he's not going to drop this. Hank isn't. So he's going to follow Magical all the way down uh, through layers and layers and layers, and that's going to get him back to mm-hmm. to Walter. Um, and the foreshadowing of that this week, I thought, uh, was well handled. It was there, but it didn't feel like it was too heavy-handed. Um so, so see, seeing that will be interesting, but it definitely looks like they're going to take a few twists and turns before we get to that. So that that's nice. I think a lot of our difference on on where we stand on this episode has to do with Lydia, because she that character really didn't work for me so far. Um, and mm-hmm. so where and I was I was just annoyed by her and frustrated by her in that first opening scene. Um, so hopefully mm-hmm. they'll win me over with her in the next week and two week and. Uh, the next week or two so that I can get back to loving this show just as much as you. You don't think they can justify that character for you? You're just annoyed. I think they can. They haven't done it yet. Okay. Um, I'm not on board. They're going to have to work. They're going to have to do some work to get me on board with that character. Give her some time. Let her grow on you. I didn't need to. Mike didn't have to grow on me. Gus didn't have to grow on me. These other characters came in fully formed and we i think she is fully formed i just don't think we've we know why she is yet i i think we we have a we have a pretty good idea of who she is just not why she doesn't fit the world um in the I, way that the others did i don't think that's and true and so you don't okay 
Interesting. Okay, well, we'll have to see what happens next mm-hmm. week. Um, um, I, 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 I do feel like we're going to get um, Walt versus Hank before we mm-hmm. get Walt versus Jesse, which to me is which the, is the, real is, ending, is the ultimate yeah. battle royale of, of Breaking Bad. Um, yeah. And just seeing him be uh, just totally like he's even worse off than Skyler and and Saul because he doesn't even he know doesn't he's know. being screwed over, which yeah. oh yeah really? absolutely yeah that's that's just brutal and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to that character's awakening which you know is going to happen and I'll be curious yeah. to see how it's going to be fun to watch Aaron Paul play when he gets that but uh, do you have any final thoughts on Breaking Bad this week? Um, like I said, I thought it was head and shoulders above last week. It's I am I, I think it is unfortunate that you do not agree, but perhaps perhaps you. Will... I liked it. I just you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, you also like the newsroom, so I can't take anything you say seriously. Oh, burn! I deserve that though, because that's that's that's. Because you right. know that it's true. Well, I see. I just like Louis Moore, so well, maybe we'll see. There we'll see go. about next week. We'll see which uh, one wins out mm-hmm. for our spotlight next week. But uh, before we go to our DVD shelf with Eric Bondurant from Sound on Sight talking about Coupling UK, let's uh, do a few show notes. Our intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by The Bicycles. Um, we are up on iTunes with an M4A and an MP3 feed. The M4A has chapter breaks, so you can skip around. So that's the difference between those two. You can also find us streaming at soundonsite.org, where we would love for you to leave us a comment, or you. You can find us streaming at Current. We have email. You can send us a, jot us a note and, and send it on to the Televerse at, g- at gmail.com. Um, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are. I'm at Sucker Howell. And we promise we don't bite, usually. I, I do get a bit ranty on occasion, but I don't. I, I generally avoid personal attacks. We still we haven't gotten any swag requests. I will I repeat. I do have some swag from Comic Con. So if you're looking for a fringe bag or psych sunglasses or revolution pin, you can uh, get that by sending us an email or leaving us a comment and answering our question. What is our question this week? Uh, how about? Uh, I mean, I think we have a pretty clear consensus in in the Televerse that Breaking Bad and Louie are the best things on TV. So. I'd be curious to know which uh, which our listeners think is better slash which one aren't they watching slash what's wrong with them. If so they how about yeah? So either Breaking Bad or Louie, um, or why you're not watching them. Mm-hmm. How about that? And yeah. then yeah, let let me know. Cool, sounds good. So uh, I think that's about it, right? Anything yeah. Else? Um, so we're going to take a quick break and listen to some music in a clip and come back with Eric Bondurant from Sound on Sight to talk coupling. Why don't you come around to my place? I'll cook. You said what? I'll cook. It just came out of my mouth. You know what I'll cook says? It says let's have sex. <laughs> no, that would be come and spend the night with me. Come and spend the night with me says let's have sex. I'll cook says let's have sex and I'll cater. Susan, you are offering this man food and sex in the same place. If there's something to read in the loo, he may never leave. Men didn't expect sex just because you offered to cook. Okay. Have you thought through your foreplay yet? (laughs) They know about that? What do you mean, foreplay? What do you think I mean? I mean, when exactly do you take your socks off? My advice is to get them off right after your shoes and before your trousers. That's the sock gap. Miss it, and suddenly you're a naked man in socks. 
No self-respecting woman will ever let a naked man in socks do the squelchy with her. That's your foreplay tip. Socks. Many men have fallen through the sock gap, Patrick. <laughs> Under the sexual arena of earthly delight, there lurks a deadly pit of socks. back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are returning yet again across the pond. I guess we just love it over there so very much. But to talk coupling the original UK version and to help us break down this show, we're excited to welcome Eric Bondurant uh, to the podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, as I was mentioning, we've done a lot of British programs, at least percentage-wise, at this point. But I think this has got to be our first, like, pretty straight sitcom. Um, and it, there's, it's just a, such a common genre for television. What is it about coupling that makes it stand out to you? Well, let's see. I mean, it obviously does owe a debt to Friends. I think it wears that on its sleeve with its kind of setup of the three men, three women, uh, kind of in a city or mostly single or whatever, kind of living their life. But uh, the thing that makes it kind of distinct and that I think British television allows it to be compared to what uh, American television would allow it to be, as I think was proven when they tried to adapt it in the U.S., is just being able to go for that kind of sexier edge, going to a few places that would not be comfortable for American audiences. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the attempt to make the American version didn't quite uh, so much succeed. <laughs> and it's something about the translating that same dialogue, and maybe it's the same issue that The Office had in its early episodes that were a bit too similar to the original version, where trying to translate that exact that same dialogue, just it doesn't work when put into American characters, even if they're you know, portrayed by British actors, but it's, it's, this is, while it is very much, you know, in the style of friends, I think it's actually much more similar to, or at least I should say this other show is more similar to coupling, but it immediately made me think of how I met your mother. Damn um, you. <laughs> <laughs> I got it in first. Um, Damn it. <laughs> because it is so uh, inventive with its use of form. And also it doesn't, while there are, you know, obviously characters in this group who are in have romantic entanglements, there's a lot of them actually. You don't mm -hmm. get so much of a percentage of the, so much of the show being dependent on bed hopping and on building and then destroying and then rebuilding relationships the way that they did, all on Friends. There, I would say in general the couples here are much more stable. Um, so and and that allows them to focus instead on. Uh, on on the uh, you know doing the the character elements, but also having fun with the form and all this. And I'm going to throw it over to Simon with uh, a mention. This is of course written by uh, Stephen Moffat, who is currently running Doctor Who. You've now seen uh, Coupling and Sherlock. What did you think of Coupling? You just need to throw it in my face, don't you? A little bit. Ugh. 
Um, I, you, you know, it's funny. If I were to read a description of coupling, it just sounds to me like, you know, this is a show about, you know, watching 30-ish semi-attractive people, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a gleeful way, kind of following their sex and dating lives and the ethics of that. And that just, to me, generally sounds like doing Jumping Jacks and an Iron Maiden. But um, this, I, I have to admit, coupling is pretty enjoyable. I think one real advantage it has over the likes of How I Met Your Mother, which it is very similar to, uh, is, you know, it's the fact that it's British means, of course, you're dealing with six to nine episode seasons. And when you're dealing, I mean, there's almost the same number of of episodes in Coupling's entire run as in one single season of How I Met Your Mother. And that means that you don't need to contort your character relationships nearly as much. You don't need to figure out a way, okay, how do we fill 22, 24 episodes with these characters without, you know, just have them all sleep with each other or, you know, re- re- you know, resort to ridiculous, you know, dramatic beats that don't really fit or don't feel genuine. And uh, as, as a result, it, it it feels a lot. It, it feels like you you have the same amount of of wit and fun that you'd get in a in a season of something like How I Met Your Mother, but crammed into a much uh, much shorter time span. It also made me think of um and 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 actually now that I think about it, I kind of feel that Friends plus Spaced is kind of the you know the inadvertent equation for this show. Uh, I, I guess also that's true for How I Met Your Mother to some degree. Uh, mostly due to the, um, I mean, you, you have the sort of structure of, of friends in terms of, like you said, the, the, the character makeup, but in terms of editing and elaborate gags, it's, it's, um, that remind, and, and sort of high concept gags, that reminds me of Spaced. I was gonna say about the short seasons and that kind of nature of British television, I'm not, I, I, maybe it's a shameful confession for this, podcast but i'm not a huge television person because of the commitment that so many shows uh kind of demand and so having one season be six to nine episodes be basically three hours to a little over four hours that's more like a just a movie rather than feeling like you're watching or committing you know what could be multiple movies worth of watching and so that's kind of nice and then also i feel like each season pretty much covers the same kind of uh, arc with less um, kind of having to wiggle around with or whatever, but covering the same kind of arc as a full season of an American show would, but then over, you know, the course of one season's worth of episodes in the American show, you've gotten through, you know, four kind of actual seasons worth of, of plotting. And I mean, we might get to, you know, where the weather, the fourth season, kind of how that matches up, because that's a usual discussion with the show. But I'd almost be ready for a fifth season uh, of coupling, because I think they they had set it up to potentially go to another interesting area. Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, There's a lot they could have done in a fifth season. And I think part of the reason of that, when to continue the How I Met Your Mother comparison for the longest time, Fans of the show uh, were both wanted to know and were excited for, but then were also trepidatious of when Lily and Marshall were going to start having kids because that meant that you can't really do the same. We're all hanging out at the bar stories, and they finally got to that in season. What are they now? Seven. 
whereas here it's season four. But I feel like if they had been a se- there had been a season five of this show, I feel like they were wouldn't have necessarily had the pregnancy storyline when they did. I, I I get the impression um, from reading some and watching some interviews with Stephen Moffat that this show very much shows the progress of his relationship with his, I believe, still current um, uh, wife, showing from when they started to um, dating to when they uh, had kids. Uh, and, and that's why I think even though that, you know, to, mention, to skip ahead a bit to the finale, I think the closing few minutes don't really fit with the rest of the show and they feel incredibly personal, but also they feel completely divorced from the tone of everything else in the, in the series. And I think because of that personal tie to the characters, I mean, the two, the lead couple are, are Steven, Steven Sue and that's Steve Moffat and, and Sue, I want to say virtue, virtue. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Who, who is his, his wife. I can't believe I just schooled you on Stephen Moffat's wife's name. Well, I wanted to say Verity, but then I knew that was going to be Verity Lambert, which is a whole Doctor Who reference, and I'm trying to be delicate to your sensibilities about that, Simon. Um, but but so I you know I think what is interesting is it's what you said, uh, Eric, about how the same storylines happen in in six episodes or nine episodes that would take an entire season. And one of the things that I find most interesting about this show and it, which distinguishes it i think uh from the other shows we've compared it to is in somewhere in the first season they're talking about uh has has he proposed yet and mm-hmm. it becomes very clear very early on that, that this is a couple that are going uh long term that are looking long term that are both in their heads at least already planning that they're they'll get married someday um mm-hmm. and then the other element of it that I find very uh, different from friends and and also a lot more interesting is that on friends they they did a great job of playing with all the different relationships and making odd odd couples with the different pairs and finding humor that way whereas on this show it's much more distinct the the three men and the three women talking and and I think that that Moffat gets a lot of really great uh gender discussion out of that and and so in that's one of the things I find most interesting. Yeah. Um, some of that stuff is, I mean, actually the great majority of that stuff is really funny. I do feel like sometimes the show does sort of default to this mode where it's like women are like this and men are like this, which does get a little bit tiresome for me. Yeah. I definitely see it as that. That can be a complaint that I have to kind of swallow and get over is that deals a lot in this kind of, uh, gender stereotypes, kind of the way I've, come about to thinking is it's kind of putting a pop psychology Freudian uh, kind of twist on it is you've got kind of uh, Steve and Susan who represent kind of an ego very you know orderly and generally normal as we consider it people and then they kind of get played off by I'd say maybe Patrick and Jane maybe would be more the ids just kind of Mm -hmm. aggressively in pursuit of um, both like sex or just uh, the kind of pleasure. And then you've got maybe what Sally and, and Jeff or Jeff and Oliver uh, later on uh, would be the kind of super ego characters who are so like bound up in kind of a moralism that, or that makes them kind of eccentric in their own way. And uh, in Jeff's case, he gets so nervous because of, of that kind of, you know, what if they think this or whatever about what, what he 
or how he how his approach is. And so he's kind of putting that kind of moral layer over it. And so that kind of breaks down how the different parts of the male brain and the female brain, and yes, it kind of divides it into the two genders in a somewhat clear fashion, but it, it, it does at least get to some interesting, I'd say, depths in that analysis. Well, and the other thing that I find so interesting about that is, um, and as someone who's much more familiar, uh, Simon, with Moffat's writing from all of his fabulous Doctor Who episodes, as well as <clears throat> Sherlock, um, and, and having seen interviews with him um, talking about the various things that he's written, I, to me, all of these characters are aspects of Moffat. The dialogue sounds like how he talks, um, and pretty much for each of the characters, and, and, and so, the, and also when you uh, hear a little bit of what he has to say about the ser- the series and where he was coming from with it, it it really feels uh, like not just the men are his perspective, but also the the women as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about it. It's like each of these characters are an aspect of his personality. Because uh, at the time, after because he uh, he got divorced from from his first wife and then uh, did a lot of playing the field, shall we say? And then you see that in Patrick. And then he's you know started settled down uh, with with Susan, uh, his Susan that is. Um, and but. There's so there's some nerves there, so you can, I don't know. There's just little elements of each of these characters um, that all sort of come from the same place, and I think that's really interesting. Then to see how he splits all the discussion between the two genders, the grouped uh, genders, um, mm-hmm. but still coming from the same place. Uh, well, I'm wondering where that means Jeff comes from exactly. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting, um, just in the spirit of full disclosure, I watched, uh, more or less the entirety of the first series. And then I watched the bookends from, uh, each of the other seasons, especially cause I wanted to see how they replaced Jeff, which I, I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, and uh, what one, uh, interesting episode I thought was, uh, the man with two legs, which I think is the second series premiere, <laughs> and, which is, which is very Jeff centric. And it's sort of this. Uh, it's sort of a weird sojourn for the show into um, full-on embarrassment humor, <laughs> as opposed to sort of the more group hangout element of the rest of the series. And it's and it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I've got too many legs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel like Jeff was almost endless fun in the show. Even and... even though it's the kind of humor that I wouldn't always appreciate, somehow he sells it. Well, and there's. And maybe one of you can answer this, but I, I find the whole situation with Jeff uh, quite strange. Of course, he's played by uh, Richard Coyle um, in the first three seasons, and then apparently he dropped out of the show because he didn't want to be typecast as this character. But then the show only had six more episodes. Like, would it have killed him? Well, and I that also just sort of hilarious uh, from an American perspective of there are 28 episodes total that's not enough you know trying to remember that you know in british tv these are happening over separate years and maybe they'll take a year off and then they'll come back with another series and, and such but it's it's still just the notion of being typecast after what 22 episodes of a show is just kind like of hilarious you, you could, to us you could shoot three movies between these series but you know you have to you know, respect his decision. I, I suppose I thought they actually did a really good job of of uh, 
working around his absence, particularly in that first episode. I thought the way that they handled that, uh, just having him on the phone, did a good job of transitioning between the episodes where he was there and the episodes where he was gone. Um, kind of, uh, except what really, what I find really strange about that episode, I mean, I, and I guess that series, but I only saw the first and last episodes. What I find really strange is that they felt compelled to replace Jeff with a, with a pretty Jeff-like character. I didn't feel like he was Jeff-like at all, Oliver. I felt like he was the most, uh, the most closest thing to a Mary Sue the show had, and that's why I felt like he didn't fit in as well, necessarily. I think there are times when he worked and times when he didn't. When he felt too much like just a stand-in for for Moffitt's you know, geekier side and not so much as someone who would fit with this dynamic, who would actually be hanging out with these people. Right. That's where it was more troubling for me. But but he does fit the bill of like of you know the guy who is a little bit standoffish and eccentric and nervous around women. I don't know. I don't. I don't really because so Jeff is nervous about women, but he when he's not around the women, he's happy to have all sorts of different things that he's pondering and discussing uh, with them. Whereas Oliver has, you know, when he's hanging out with these guys, he's. He, I don't know. He feels like, it feels like to me like he feel, fills a different role in the group. Like he spent, I feel like he spends most of his time making movie references. I wonder if he also gives kind of more of an outsider's perspective to the group dynamic at that point, because Jeff had been longtime friends with uh, Steve, and so they had a bunch. You know, you could tell that there is their relationship was supposed to have a lot of in jokes, and so I think with Oliver, you're getting more meta uh, maybe potentially more meta commentary on on how the rest of the group has evolved over these seasons yeah yeah well and then also of course jeff worked had worked with um susan forever yeah. uh so there was that element in there as well so maybe for me it's just um it felt sort of awkward i guess trying when they were trying to to fit him in with jane um mm-hmm which didn't seem to really work that well for me. Uh, but I, I guess you didn't see that much of that, Simon. No, I, I well, yeah. I, in total, I probably saw about 15 minutes of all of her content. <laughs> so I, I could be prejudging. For me, the most awkward thing about the Jeff Oliver changeover was the the, the Jeffina uh, <clears throat> that they, they decided to, to stick into the finale. I don't think it was necessary if they weren't going to have Jeff. I mean, I thought that the actress actually did a pretty good job of channeling the the comic rhythm of she the, totally did yeah of coil but um it's uh, still painful but yeah it's just kind of awkward and you know i don't know i mean maybe for fans who had been you know hardcore following it for years they would have really wanted to have jeff there in some way in the finale but i don't know i feel like the, the fourth season is one where i kind of i enjoy it somewhat apologetically but I, I feel like they've, by that point, they're developing Sally and Patrick so well that it kind of covers up what you're potentially losing or the awkwardness in this transition from Jeff to Oliver. Well, and that's also the Sally Patrick arc is just as, if not more, actually um, pronounced over the course of the series than Stephen and Sue. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's that's sort of fun when they transitioned, you know, from having the angst be with Steve and having it be more with Sally uh, and somewhere around season two, season three, I think things got interesting. And uh, for, for me that I think those are probably the most satisfying moments were with that couple. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like the end of season three actually was one of the more emotionally touching parts of the entire run. Like it was, it was when it from went from being purely funny to being kind of satisfying in a, in a deeper, on a deeper emotional level in, in that, in season three. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, just, you know, then going back, I was watching, I watched all of these, the, the entire run in about a span of three days, because <laughs> you can do that when it's 28 episodes yep. and also because it was addictive. Um, but then, so it was kind of a blur. And that as far as like where one season ended and the next one began, because I watched them back to back to back. And then I went back and watched um, part of the, the pilot in the second episode again. And I was, you know, it was fun to see just how far they had taken those characters, even just Sally, who I think it starts out a bit more neurotic mm-hmm. um, and flighty than she is a little bit uh, later. I, I, I'm curious what you guys think of this. For me, the first season is actually, I guess I would say the fourth season has some problems, but I think it takes them a few episodes to really get the group dynamic down and to find their feet. Uh, I don't think I experienced that. It seemed pretty fully foreign to me from the beginning. Um, and I, I think, uh, as, oh God, I'm about to say nice things about Stephen Moffat. Um, uh, you know, this, it's something that I think, uh, another thing that hurts American sitcoms for the most part, not all the time by any means is, you know, you have, you're, you're relying on a, on a vast stable of writers and yet you're creating, uh, you're trying to create a, a coherent show, a coherent universe, and you need every moment to be on beat in terms of uh, character development and, and you know, and the gags and whatnot. And here, of course, it's not just the fact that you have a, a shorter episode order, it's that you have the same guy writing the entire thing. Well, and so, directing it as well. Martin Dennis right, yeah, you, yeah, Martin, yeah, Martin Dennis is the series director, and yeah, that, I'm sure that helps as well. And there's something to that. I think that I, I really felt, barring the the strange um, appearance of Oliver in the fourth season, it uh, it really felt there was a nice blend of consistency and variety. A consistency in terms of tone and quality, for the most part, uh, but variety in terms of the structure of the episodes. Um, for instance, there's the episode Split, which I think is the third season premiere. Yeah, third third series premiere, uh, in which in which of course the entire episode. Uh, uses a split screen gimmick, which should be annoying, but they uh, they find lots of uh, little little satisfying ways to to toy with that. Yeah, I, that's that was one of those moments where I felt like I was watching How I Met Your Mother. Only I got to say, there the season four premiere, nine and a half minutes, I believe it's called. Uh, so I, How I Met Your Mother did that same idea in an episode fairly recently. That's where you have you follow the same span of time. Uh, you and then you start back over uh, of the beginning of that span of time with a different series of characters and see what they were doing while we you know we'd already seen what happened with the first group of characters um except that this is just so much better <laughs> it's done so much better here and the same thing with split screen and the same thing with the flashback episode uh where you find out people had you know interacted previously uh, and there's just so many i, I think they strike a good balance between more high concept episodes and then then still you know having some traditional ones as well so it doesn't feel too much like an excuse for a gimmick going a little bit back to the kind of concerns about gender stereotype i just kind of one thing that defends it from maybe feeling like the female characters can be a little too 
uh, clear cut as I do think, especially Susan is just a, a great character in my mind. Uh, too often when you're going for like a uh, awesome female character, it's the kick ass kind of acts like a man uh, variety character, but she's just like very, you know, one of the, the it's a little variable on who, how much they introduce the various characters professions like Patrick, you see as being relatively professional, but maybe whether or not he's good at it, you don't know. And I don't know that it says anything about Steve's profession, but Susan is clearly like very confident in her job. She's pretty high ranking. She, you know, she's sexy. She knows what she wants from Steve and she knows mostly how to get it. And so it's just this very, just kind of complete put together woman. And I, I just found that, uh, I mean, maybe in contrast to the, pretty much all the other characters, she's the one that just feels, you know, that you want to, I don't know, that, that there's a reverence for, for her character. Well, it's, it's always nice to see female characters on TV who are, because, I mean, so often when you have a female character who is good at her job, she's generally a robot. <laughs> Or um, she's good at her job, but she's terrible in her personal life, and she right, can't yeah. get it together, which is right. and, not the case uh, here. And anyone who's been watching the newsroom will know that it's, you know, it, it's 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 rarer than you might think to see women in a, in a professional context, although, you know, we don't see her at work that much, at least not in the episodes I saw, who are not just constantly flustered and needing to be rescued at every turn. Well, and for me, the... I think that that goes to more the the men because I can't imagine Jeff keeping it together all day at <laughs> at the office. But clearly he does, uh, you know, unless he should go into the dreaded supply closet because that's where the magic happens. So it seems. Yeah. But uh, but no, I think that's an excellent point. I would also point out that uh, the women on the show have a healthy sexual appetite mm-hmm. without having any sort of judgment upon them or without them being. Uh, provocative for the sake of provocative or unsafe or any number of other things. Well, we, we don't actually know if they're unsafe or not, but I <laughs> well, mean, we don't, we, we don't really know how, how wild things got when Susan had sex with Australia. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that was, that was, that was a pretty fun episode. Um, but, but as far, you know, there, while there are some, there is some stereotyping, you know, there are some, you know, more predictable character traits, I guess the, the women are both, whole individuals like Sally is completely neurotic uh but uh but she still she owns her own business we mm-hmm. see she you know she clearly uh is you know maybe is too stressed out about her appearance uh but other than that she's you know pretty normal and I, what I also enjoy is that uh Susan ha, you know ha, is our lead and she is very strong and independent and has a good head on her shoulders but she you still get to see her be vulnerable you still get mm-hmm. to see her uh ha, you know not quite know exactly what she wants or what she's doing um, and so i she feels much more whole for me the character that i have you know aside from the oliver issue the character that i have the most trouble with is jane i feel like for you know she kind of i enjoy the character in general but there are some episodes where I felt like they didn't quite get her right. Mm-hmm. Is that just me? Well, th- they definitely rely on her being almost cartoonishly stupid like, quite frequently. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Like her, the uh, true snake that where she has the suicide attempt. <laughs> yeah. Quotes, but she just takes the normal dosage of like Tylenol. Well, because she's just pathologically 
in need of approval and attention, which is, you know, they're true to that over the course of the series, but I get, I guess I just get annoyed with her sometimes. Well, it's awkward when, you know, she's one of those characters who writers, you know, there's one of these in, in most sitcoms where, or many sitcoms at least, where they have her be one way for the great majority of the time. And then every once in a while, they need her to be different. Like in the, in the series finale, for instance, where, Mm -hmm. She stops being, you know, pathologically dumb for a minute to impart, you know, kind wisdom to Steve when he most needs it. And then we assume goes back to her normal ways. She's a little more in control as well when she was with James. I, I think that's his name. The uh, character who's briefly her uh, kind of romantic link in yes. season three, I think. Her her celibate boyfriend, uh, Christian boyfriend, yeah. yes, that she has for a while. And I, th- I thought that was an interesting arc, an interesting way of exploring the character. And, you know, for someone who was so defined by her sexuality to see her with someone who was not going to have sex with her, mm-hmm. even though they liked each other very much, um, was was interesting. Um, but of course, then they shy away from that yeah, after a few episodes and just go somewhere else. But I guess that's OK, as long as it's funny, <laughs> which is the main rule for me for comedies. And it's that's true. funny. And I think they did a similar thing for Jeff with when they introduced Julia is it's, it's again, you see him not just being this a purely wacky character. You see him actually in a relationship and it's actually kind of sweet. And then of course that also gets kind of shunted after a, a couple episodes and he has to return to his, you know, former ways. But I mean, Julia was another kind of really fun character, you know, co-worker with Susan also very, you know, in charge of her professional life, but in that this case, a little bit less in charge of her uh, you know, personal personal life than Susan was. Yeah. Do you guys have a uh, a favorite character? We're running out of time uh, here, but uh, do you? Is there someone of the six or seven that is who is your uh, your favorite? Well, should we play the uh, the, the girls slash Sex in the City game of which oh. one of these are you? Row. Okay, I need a little time to think, but. Uh, Sure, you, Simon, you're you first. You really didn't anticipate this? I'm I should obviously, have. I didn't. I'm, well, I'm obviously Jeff. There's no, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt about that. I don't even think I need to defend that one. Yeah, I've actually had someone on a uh, forum compare me to Jeff, even when uh, coupling was not in the conversation. So, <laughs> I took it as a compliment. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really like any of them i guess i guess I, I would go with steve but i like to think i'm not as clueless as him because i definitely don't have enough of my stuff together to be uh to be susan <laughs> so uh yeah I so guess. is it just is it just the lesbian porn connection uh per- apparently well it's it's erotic uh uh art it's you know it's not just lesbian porn mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly uh but uh no because Jane's too crazy, and and I like to think I'm not quite so neurotic as Sally, and I don't have a cupboard of love, so I can't be Patrick. So I guess I'll, I'll call myself Steve. Fair enough. And then, plus, then you get to be Stephen Moffat, and you can live out all your freaky little dreams. I don't want to be Stephen Moffat. That's just weird. <laughs> now, anyway. that takes us to... Uh, my last comment, and then I'll, of course, throw it to you guys. Um, for I just... I loved all of the Doctor Who shout-outs over the course of the show, which were fabulous. And something else to remember, I'm sure that you were, you know, 
raising your fist in rage, Simon, at the screen when you're watching this. But when this was on the air, Doctor Who had not yet come back. Doctor Who, uh, the the new series started up in 2003, and season one of this was in 2000. So there was a little bit uh, towards the season three, season four. It would have been back in the uh, in the public eye and a huge success again. But for uh, for the first few seasons of the show, it was something that you know Moffat always loved Doctor Who, but it wasn't you know as much in the public consciousness in in the UK. So I really enjoyed all those. Like uh, Stephen hiding behind the couch from Daleks, of course, uh, things like that. Uh, but the, my last thing was Simon. Yes. It sounds like you enjoy coupling. You enjoy. <sighs> you enjoy Sherlock. What is just it going to take for don't you to do watch it. some Moffat Don't Doctor do it. Who? Don't do it. It's not going to happen. I know it's. I know it's your birthday, but I have limits. Yeah. Okay. I figured it was worth a shot. I will not mention it for another. 10 episodes at least. Right. Um, so that was my final uh, I, thing. What, do you guys have any final ideas? Things are, we not, are, are we not going to do favorite episodes? Well, I guess we can. There's there's a lot of them. I don't really, I can't think I can really pick one. Okay, uh, Eric, we're starting with you. Favorite episode. Oh boy. Um, I actually, when, when just put in a pinch, I actually like uh, the, the second episode of season one a whole lot. The uh, guest on that uh, introducing the uh, gay character and uh, being kind of a political scientist, having their their conversation about um, British politics and like uh, Sally's assumptions that because he's gay he's going to be liberal and her battling with the fact that uh, Patrick's uh, Tory, all that stuff really was funny to me. And so I don't know that one coming off the top of my head. That one was a particularly effective one. For me, I would go Inferno, just for the way that the scene builds to the, the dinner, and I just think that works so incredibly well. I enjoy farce and miscommunication and all that, so the you know I think there's a nice element, uh, element of the, the more serious side when with Sally and Patrick and all of that, but then there's plenty of, of comedy, and just watching Steve try to, try to explain lesbian spank Inferno <laughs> as legitimate art is just hilarious so i guess i'll go with that one um and simon how about you oh i'm on the spot now i'm just kidding um i would go with actually for the same reason as you i would go for the season two finale at uh, the end of the line which is just a pure old school british farce comedy of errors in very elegantly written uh, and just nicely done in every possible respect and very very funny Ah, well, and, you know, Susan doing all of Australia. That's just funny. Yes. <laughs> In a French accent, with a French accent. Yes. I actually felt very smart for for identifying the original Australian voice. I was like, that that's Steve. <laughs> well, so, I, I did too, so we're either both, we're both very, very smart. smart or just both of incredibly average intelligence. Well, either way. <laughs> it's funny how they actually used the, they knew that this, you know, Sarah Alexander, the actress, actually knew French, so they threw her there. I think um, Richard uh, Quayle, or Quayle knew something, and so they have him do something at some point. And so the way they built that in is kind of cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. So um, any other final thoughts? Nope. I liked it, and I shouldn't have, so I guess it's good. <laughs> Obviously, since I uh, picked this one, I want everyone to watch it. I've seen the episodes like a half dozen times so yes don't let the american version keep you off from watching this it's it's a lot of fun and 
So if you like How I Met Your Mother and you've been uh, either, even if you haven't been disappointed by the last season the way that, that Simon and I have, uh, you should absolutely check out this show because it'll be right up your alley. Um, though maybe, uh, uh, depending on who's going to be in the room, maybe watch use some headphones. <laughs> <laughs> it's not safe for work, shall we say. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So thank you so much, uh, Eric, for picking this show because I I would not have seen it. I should have, but I wouldn't have. So I'm very grateful. I've had a lot of fun. Um, so where can our listeners find you online? Sure, I uh, contribute to Sound on Site uh, with pieces on you know gender themes in films as well as female uh, looking at female director filmographies. I also do all my reviews at moviereviewwarehouse.wordpress.com. So you can find all my stuff there, and uh, I guess on Twitter at, at mxbondo, B-O-N-D-O. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Eric, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.